Welcome to Indie Matters, the now award-winning podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and you heard that right. We won the best podcast in Nevada at this year's Press Association Awards. We want to thank all of our listeners for helping us get to where we are now. We will continue to grow and improve with time, and we appreciate all of your love and support. With that being said, on this week's episode, intern Shannon Miller talks with Ely Times reporter Shadrach Michaels about what's been going on at the city council in Ely and why the town is abuzz with the news. Later on, reporter Michelle Rendells talks with reporter Riley Snyder about his recent story regarding the state's fleet of private planes. And at the end, reporter Daniel Rothberg tells me about a new movie that he just saw. But before any of that, let's read a few headlines from this week. First, we ran a three-part series by reporter Daniel Rothberg about the Anaconda Mine outside of Yerington, and how since it stopped operating in the late 1970s, it has leaked arsenic and uranium into the groundwater. Reporter Megan Messerly reported on a teletown hall with Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris, where she talked about the House's formal impeachment inquiry against the president, saying the inquiry will be a full and righteous airing of corruption and misdeeds of the president and his administration, and took a few questions from callers. And finally, reporter Riley Snyder reported on the Nevada Supreme Court ruling against payday loan company Title Max. The company was saying that grace periods and loans would allow them to refinance and increase interest rates on lenders. The court says not so. This is Indy intern Shannon Miller in Las Vegas, and I'm speaking with Shandrak Michaels, reporter with the Ely Times. Shandrak, welcome to the Indy Matters podcast. Hello, thank you. You've been covering news in Ely and reporting extensively on the opioid epidemic I was reading in White Pine County. Can you give our listeners a quick lay of the land? What are one or two of the most important industries and voter issues in Ely? Uh, Great question. Ely is, I think, most well known for being a mining town. We have the Robinson Mine here just outside of Ely. We're also a, a provider of a lot of employment for the Ely State Prison. So with those two industries, a lot of people in town are uh, blue-collar, hard-working individuals. It is a very small town. I think word of mouth travels pretty quickly here. It's new to me. I'm, I'm a resident that moved here two years ago, and I think that the majority of the people in the town knew who I was before I ever set foot in town. It is a very tight-knit community. Uh, being so rural and so isolated, everybody knows each other and everybody relies on each other. Everybody is extremely friendly and well, warm and welcoming. I think the majority of the issues that um, Ely, just like a lot of other rural areas in the country and in Nevada face, is housing shortages, primarily that coupled with being on major intersections of uh, highways like the 50 we have seen our fair share of in increasing heroin and crystal meth distribution. So being such a small community, it really, we rely on each other to help each other and take care of each other. It is a beautiful area. I I had the fortune of being able to go visit um, Great Basin National Park and actually camping out in like BLM land near Ely. And um, Um, so I know tourism and recreation is another industry there as well. But I did a little research, and in White Pine County, that's where Ely is located. They have about 4,600 registered voters, and it's a red county. 
and Ely's home to about 4,000 of those voters. Is that right? That's correct. And so the city of Ely, they had local elections in spring that changed out the mayor and two city council members, which may not seem like a lot to city dwellers, but that's one third of the voting members in Ely City Council. And full disclosure, you're married to the mayor. We've been together two years. So according to your reporting, um, those spring elections, they had about a 30% turnout, which is pretty good compared to um, Las Vegas and Boulder City. I live in Las Vegas, and we had just 12.5% in our municipal elections in June. So I think that it's just kind of an indication that people care about what's going on, and that's pretty evident if you look at the Times Facebook page, um, especially last week. There were more than 160 comments that came in, and um, and that was in reaction to the appointment of Ed Spear to city council, or basically kind of what went on at that city council meeting where he was appointed. So can you summarize what happened at that city council meeting, which took place last week? Yes. Uh, last week, it was a special city council meeting to accept the resignation of a council member who resigned. He was elected in 2017, and he was semi-retired. He started a business here locally in town, uh, a restaurant because it's difficult to manage a business in a small town, he took a supplemental job at the Robinson Mine. And between those two obligations, found it increasingly more and more difficult to attend city council meetings. So he took the responsible position, resigned from the council, creating a vacancy. And this special election between the council, according to the NRS, NRS 266, the council elects a member of the community. A council member, Councilman Ernie Flangus, nominated his friend Ed Spear. The mayor nominated a local constituent uh, named Michelle Beecher, uh, who is involved in economic and business development in the community. The city council meeting was advertised, it was publicized, um, and it, we had a very low turnout as far as people attending that particular council meeting. In the meeting, the council heard from both candidates, um, and after Michelle spoke, questioning uh, from the council took a darker turn than we would have liked to have seen from the council. The council members, Councilman Kurt Carson and Councilman Allworth, focused and emphasized a inquiry line of questioning that was some what some viewed to be as sexist and misogynistic, focusing primarily on the fact that she was a mother raising a family and, and prefacing it with how she would be able to manage her time on the council while raising a family. That council meeting ended with the nomination and election of Ed Spear, the mayor being the only vote of five for Michelle Beecher. And, and that basically what happened in that meeting with between um, Michelle Beecher and the council members who were questioning her, her ability to um, basically handle the position just by virtue of the fact that she's a mother, um, a busy mom of three kids. And it's not from your reporting yet. So she answered with poise and just focused on, I was actually able to speak with her on the phone on Monday and she um, just continued to focus on wanting to represent the people of Ely, and um, it sounds like she's very interested in continuing her work of 
business development um, because, uh, and I'm quoting her, that she said that Ely's going through a Main Street kind of uh, revival, and she'd like to be involved in that. And then Ed Spear had an opportunity to speak, and he was talking about ad valorem taxes, which, could you give me some background on that? I'm not exactly sure what those are. The city council has been working to reallocate tax revenue. Um, the county, apparently between the city and the county, more, many years ago they worked out some type of arrangement, the county taking the majority of the ad valorem taxes. Uh, from Mr. Spears' perspective, the city of Ely is the only city in Nevada that doesn't collect these particular taxes, and he sees that as egregious and unacceptable. Um, the city council, um, before Mr. Spear joined the council, has been working background with the county to sort of readjust those rates and those regulations and policies to assist the city in generating more tax revenue from its own citizens. It's what, um, at least in Ed Spears' comments when he was appointed, that's what he, it sounds like he is mainly focusing on. But I'll just read a couple of those comments that did pop up on the Ely Times Facebook page. Um, since you broke the news of Ed Spears' appointment. On September 18th, Miranda from McGill, Nevada, commented, can you say discrimination lawsuit? And Cade from McGill commented this past Tuesday, the question is not necessarily inappropriate, but ignoring her answer and labeling her as too busy certainly is. Once she affirmed that she felt up to the job, then that answer should have been accepted. And I should frame these comments with a, another recent development. Since last week's special meeting, Ely City Councilman Sam Hansen has also announced his resignation. So that's two council members resigning in the same month, right? That's correct. And do you know if this has been common in the, like, turnover like this has been common in the past, or is this kind of new? Well, this is certainly new for us. I think somewhat traditional in politics when a new administration comes in. Some people change. These two particular resignations were were just succinctly timed. Right, right, one right after the other. Um, and Hansen was one of the four council members who voted to appoint Ed Spear. So it's interesting that he is vacating his seat. And last night there was a regular city council meeting where they appointed a new council member to fill Hansen's vacated seat. Can you tell us what happened in that meeting? Yes. Um, Last week, um, after the special city council meeting that appointed or elected Mr. Spear, the next day they also had another special meeting where they um, oversaw uh, some other special needs in the community, and that's where Mr. Hansen resigned. His letter of resignation indicated that he was resigning to support his wife in moving to a more temperate climate to assist her in her health. This meeting, which was regularly scheduled because the NRS requires the filling of a seat at the next consecutive city council meeting, they accepted Mr. Hansen's resignation and they have appointed now Michelle Beecher to fill that seat. So last night's meeting heard from the candidate and took into consideration any other person that may have been nominated, none of which saw no councilman appoint offered up any other name. So Michelle was the only candidate, so she was unanimously voted in. That particular meeting, to get to that point, though, um, the meeting started with an hour worth of public comment from women in the community 
who were responding to last week's line of questioning. So there was a Facebook group, right? Uh, the, the Facebook group that had formed right after the article went live on the Ely Times Facebook page was tough as a mother and tough as a mother. <laughs> um, they did make t-shirts. They, they were very well organized. Well, I'm sure they're thrilled at the news um, of Michelle Beecher's appointment this time around to fill Sam Hansen's seat. Absolutely. The, the community response was overwhelming. The efforts of the community members that organized and worked diligently over a week's time to bring forward 150 members of the community that showed up in mass and made their voices heard and their intentions well known. And the councilman sat at the um, in the convention center and listened to every single person that spoke, listened to all of the letters that were read into record, and they responded. Count Kirk, Councilman Kirk Carson and Councilman Jim Walworth uh, both apologized and welcomed Michelle Beecher onto the council um, wholeheartedly and um, then appointed her mayor pro tem. Uh, because with the resignation of Mr. Hansen, he was mayor pro tem. So that filled not only a vacant seat, but a need on the council for a backup in the event that the mayor would recuse himself on an issue or wouldn't be able to fulfill some duty at some point in time. And you are pl- are you planning to do further reporting on Ely City Council and where can our listeners find that? The Ely Times Facebook page is a great resource as well as elytimes.com. Okay, well, thank you for joining us on the podcast this week, Shandrak. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. We're here today with Riley Snyder, my colleague and the 2019 Journalist of Merit. For those of you that don't know, that means Riley is the... uh, award-winningest journalist with, within the first five years of his career. So congratulations, Riley. Thank you. It must have so, been a down year. It's a privilege to be here with you and <laughs> talk about one of your latest stories. So this one had to do with private planes. And for those that don't know, the state actually has a fleet of private planes. This is something that really looks kind of bad sometimes. And we've seen other states sell off their planes or kind of make moves to, you know, downsize their use or whatever, um, just to kind of make a show of fiscal conservatism. That was one of the points in your article. But recently, Nevada lawmakers uh, voted to spend uh, about $14 million to buy two new planes. Why do we need to buy new planes? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And it's not every day you get to go to a budget committee hearing and talk about like what new planes the state is going to buy. But the reason um, that the agency decided to buy new planes, we're talking about the Nevada Department of Transportation, which is the state agency in charge of bridges, roads, highways, all of that stuff. They have 1,800 employees, I believe. Uh, So they have like a pretty big um, uh, footprint. And for years, they've had two planes. Um, Both of them were built in the 1980s, one in the early 80s, one in the late 80s. But they've been using these planes essentially to ferry workers between Carson City and Las Vegas. They have a lot of people based in Carson City, and most of the roads are in Las Vegas. So um, they've been using them for that almost entirely. They say that they save money compared to Southwest, the time it takes to drive from Carson City to Reno, go through security, get on your Southwest plane, fly all the way back to Vegas. 
Um, these are like hours of productivity the state has to pay for. And they figured that um, over the longer period of time, you'll save money by just having a state plane in Carson City. Um, you drive to the airport, hop on the plane, drive to or fly to Vegas, and you cut a whole bunch of hours off your time. Now, Riley, I'm sure you didn't just take that claim at face value that it's a better deal to take a private plane and really employ private pilots with the state to fly these two planes that we have, as opposed to just hopping on Southwest and getting a, you know, a ticket of, I mean, sometimes as low as $83 uh, between Reno and, and Vegas. You did the math. Do you believe that's true? Um, it's a complicated question. Uh, when I saw the analysis that the department gave state lawmakers during the legislative session, I thought that seems really high for plane tickets. Like no one's spending $450 on a round trip between Reno and Las Vegas. So I asked for a detailed breakdown. I think they're talking about the flexibility. Like if you are going to work on Monday and you determine on Tuesday, you need to be in Las Vegas. Um, there is a lot less flexibility, in having to like get a Southwest uh, ticket and then have a round trip in one day and like booking that the day ahead, as opposed to just using the state plane as a normal go around. The analysis actually did find that Southwest tickets are cheaper for the normal um, Carson City to Las Vegas flight. NDOT, the Nevada Department of Transportation, covers the entire state. So they have branches all over in rural parts of the state from Elko to Battle Mountain, to Ely. So as opposed to driving or flying to Salt Lake City and then driving into Elko or somewhere on the eastern side of the state, it actually makes a lot more sense and saves a ton of time to just uh, fly um, one of these planes out there. And we're talking about private planes. People might think these are like Gulfstream jets. They seat between, I believe, one seat six and one seat ten. So they're relatively small, and they're, they're able to like take off and land from these very tiny rural airports. Now, we just got back from the Nevada Press Association convention out in Ely, and so we had to actually take that drive that was probably five and a half hours more with stops and lunch. In uh, retrospect, I would have preferred to fly just for next time. John <laughs> Elizabeth, if you're listening. Time for the Indies. Indie uh, charter. Private plane. So I, I think we understand that smaller airports are more expensive than flying from Reno to Vegas on a Southwest route that has, you know, 10 different uh, legs of it each day. But you also did an analysis on how often they really are using this to get out into the most remote corners of the state where it would be expensive to fly into versus how often they're taking that highly traveled route. What did you find? Yeah. So as part of the story, I did a records request for all of the flight logs for the two uh, current state planes and uh, I only got them back from one. One has been in maintenance for all of 2019, but it pretty much matched up what the department said they were using it for, which was um, just flying kind of like middle manager or civil engineers who work for the department between Carson City and Las Vegas. Uh, I think the vast majority of flights um, that they've recorded since like 2016, I think it was like 80% on one plane have just gone between Carson City and Las Vegas. But the other interesting thing was that they allowed other state agencies to hop aboard if they had extra seats. They figured that's a way to, to save money because, like, as opposed to having someone who works for the Department of Public Safety fly southwest and do that whole route, they could just hop a hop a ride on the state plane and do that leg just to, to save time. So what I found um, is that the Attorney General, Aaron Ford, has taken, I think, three to four flights this year on the state plane, and the Secretary of State took one. There were a couple other people from other agencies, but I asked about that in a, their response to some of my questions. 
the Department of Transportation said they'd be ending that policy, and now they would be re- requesting that they reimburse the state. Because, again, these aren't necessarily uh, straight tax dollars. We're talking about the highway fund, and this is paid for through a bunch of different sources, but primarily through gasoline taxes. So it is our tax money. It's supposed to go towards the maintenance, preservation, and creation of roads. This is, I guess, an administrative cost to have a plane for this agency, but um, they're going to stop doing that now, requiring other agencies to, to reimburse them anytime they uh, fly on the plane. Now, the big question, did Governor Sisolak ever take the private plane? He did not. And I did another story recently uh, looking at his calendar during the legislative session, and he did fly to Las Vegas almost every single weekend, and he was uh, nowhere in the flight log, so that just means he was flying on a commercial airliner the whole time. Now, uh, some people had left, I think, in the comments, um, maybe it was even in your article, why do we need to fly people to these sites when we have video conferencing and, you know, every legislative meeting that we see, there's locations in Vegas and, and Reno or Vegas and Carson City. Um, you know, we often use as a staff a program called Zoom, which is sort of similar to Skype. Um, there's obviously instant messaging and everything like that. I mean, what is the rationale for ferrying these people in person to these sites? So this is a question that came up during the legislative session and in a budget subcommittee, I think Assemblywoman Sandra Hadegi raised the exact same question. Like, why do we need two new planes? Like, why can't, why can't you guys fly Southwest like everyone else? And the, the reason they gave was one, uh, both of the budget efficiencies. They said this meets the, uh, executive branch's requirement that, uh, you use the most effective means of travel and not waste state dollars. They said that there's some, meetings that you have that you have to do in person that just don't work over video conference. So that's why they have to fly them back and forth between Carson City and Las Vegas or from Carson City to other rural parts of the state. Um, so those are the, the two big ones. They, they uh, just kind of said, like, based on our size and based on our needs, this this made the most sense uh, for us. Now, one of my favorite parts of the article was when you talk about what other states are doing with their private planes. Um, you had a couple funny anecdotes in here about what other states have, have done with their planes. Can you regale us with some of the tales of what happened in other states? Yeah, so it's kind of atypical for states to buy new planes. I think there's kind of like a trend line you can point towards, towards governors and like Republican or conservative-leaning states selling off the state plane because it kind of looks excessive, like, oh, the state has a plane, you know, we could be cutting corners elsewhere. Um, Florida actually, uh, under Governor Ron DeSantis, actually bought a new plane. They had an issue where um, a plane that he was in and a couple other state people had to do an emergency landing, and there was a big concern after he was elected. So um, pretty soon thereafter, they they bought a new plane. Um, I think the governor in Oklahoma um, sold the state plane, and a reporter there who'd been around forever said, actually, the governor back in 1992 did the same thing. Then three years later, the state legislature bought a new plane because – to be quite honest, um, doing the story, like it kind of convinced me of the need for it. You know, initially you think, you know, like using a state plane, it's kind of like a perk of being in the government or executive travel. But I mean, it really does save quite a bit of time. You're talking about a difference between like a two and a half hour flight between Carson City and Elko or a 12 hour drive or like a 15 hour flight and layover and drive. So to me, um, I think there is a need of it. Uh, I think there's something like 49 of 50 states do have some kind of aircraft. Obviously, it should be policed in terms of its usage and who's benefiting from this. But um, I think they they very clearly demonstrated that there's a, a substantial need, especially in Nevada, which is 
in one sense, the most urban state in the country. We have the most people in cities, but we're the seventh largest state in terms of landmass. So there's a lot of roads and bridges you got to get out to, and it's a lot easier to fly than to drive. You mentioned that scary emergency landing that, that another state had to take. Uh, you, you heard a lot of discussion among these legislators and these pilots. What did you learn about the safety of, it looks like the planes are 32 and 37 years old. Would you feel confident flying in that plane, Riley? I'd be a little iffy flying in that plane. That, that was one of the concerns is that these planes are so old that they don't have any more uh, manufacturer warranty. The new planes that they're buying do have that kind of warranty. They're newer. Pilots want to fly newer planes. I also looked at the salary of the, the state's chief pilot and then three minor pilots. And they said it's hard to hire people at below market rates to fly planes that are, you know, 40 or 30 years old. So that, that was definitely a concern that, you know, they're kind of like running out of other planes to get parts from. And one of the comments you got was from Assemblywoman Robin Titus, who, as we found through the discussion, actually owns her own plane. Yeah, from I believe it was built in the 1920s or 1930s. But, you know, she was all in favor of it and said the maintenance cost alone makes sense. I think it costs $2 million every budget cycle in terms of maintenance for the current planes. And that'll just go down tremendously once they buy the new planes. And Riley, when can we expect to see this new plane? The new planes will be in the sky, I believe, uh, at the end of this fiscal year. So probably sometime in 2020 or 2021. All right. Well, thank you so much for looking into this issue, Riley. I know it raised some questions on social media when it came up a couple weeks ago, and uh, you uncovered a lot of interesting information about uh, the state's private plane fleet. Thanks so much for being with us in the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Joey. <laughs> You're very far away from the microphone. Yeah, I'm closer now. Oh, there you go. So this is just kind of the wrap-up segment that we do every week just to kind of get you guys to get to know our reporters a little bit better. And so we've got reporter Daniel Rothberg in the studio right now. How's it going? Hey, Joey. So um, you told me that you just saw a new movie. Do you want to tell me about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw Hustlers. Hustlers. And that's with uh, that's starring like uh, J-Lo. It is starring J-Lo. I thought that it was going to be... Also, my initials. <laughs> J-Lo. Yeah, J-Lo. not my initials. <laughs> um, I thought that it was going to be... The way it was described to me <laughs> by my friend was they were like, you're going to love it because it's kind of about journalism. <laughs> but... It is based off a New York Magazine story. Okay. Um, but it really isn't about journalism. It was much more about nightlife. But it was good. Um, it was actually – I liked it. I thought that it was kind of – I don't know. I thought that it was like a little lighter for how serious the subject, serious the subject was or like what the, <laughs> the fact that they were like committing crimes. But it, it was good. I liked, I liked the like when they brought in sort of – some of the economic issues after the during the recession and kind of how they flipped the like power dynamics of Wall Street, even though what they did was a crime. Um, I know that um, I believe Megan, our reporter Megan Messerly and John also saw this movie and they both oh, yeah. they both enjoyed it as well. They yeah. did, yeah. Oh, I missed did. that. Was yeah. that on Slack? That was on Slack. You got to keep up on the random channel where we discuss movies. Constantly. Yes, I'm <laughs> slacking on Slack. <laughs> Well, well. So, if you're going to rate the movie, you're going to give me a rating, a two thumbs up. I would give it a yeah. I'd give it like a four out of five. Four out of five. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I've I've heard you're a pretty harsh movie critic, so I think really? that that's a no. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I also rewatched Pirates of the Caribbean a couple weeks ago. The first one. Yeah, the first one, which it's, was awesome. It holds up. It, it holds up. It's the nostalgic of being a kid and yeah. watching that movie. The other ones. That are, one definitely gets a five out of five. The other ones are terrible, though. 
I liked the other ones. But... Yeah, did you know that one of them is like the most expensive movie ever made? Like the fourth one? Really? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, well, Joe, Joey and Daniel's movie corner over here. Um, thanks for thanks for stopping by the studio and chatting for a minute, Daniel. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. If you want to help the show, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on your favorite platform, too. If you have any questions or want to give us criticism or praise, you can email me at joey at theenvyindie.com. If you'd like to support our trek into the mountains of nonprofit journalism, you can do so by clicking on the Support Our Work button on our site. I'd like to thank Shadrach Michaels for being on this week's episode, as well as Shannon, Riley, and Michelle. Our original theme song is by People With Bodies, and you can find more of their music on Spotify. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm Joey Lovato, and we'll talk to you next week.